Blog Talk Radio. April 13th, 2017. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Pope Runyon. And tonight we review and discuss the modern English 2004 translation of Otto Rahn's 1937 Lucifer's Court. This was Rahn's travel journal from southern France to Iceland when he researched his personal quest to solve the mystery of the Holy Grail. As described in the medieval romance Parseval by Wolfram von Essenbach. Ron believed that the medieval Cathars, the Gnostic heretics who were wiped out by the Roman Catholic Albigensian Crusade in the 1300s, were the keepers of the Grail, and that they were devotees of Lucifer. Now, he was very favorable to Nazi Aryan race theories and uh, was invited to join Himmler's SS. Ron's veneration of Lucifer as the god of the medieval French and German heretics may be the main source of what has been called Nazi Satanism. Lucifer was actually another name for Semyaza, the leader of the fallen angels in the book of Enoch. Now, we will try to sort out the errors in Otto Rahn's work and give him credit where credit is due. And in spite of his political incorrectness, he was an intrepid anthropologist and folklorist, and his book is a fascinating read for those interested in the occult history of Europe. So... Tune in and we'll explore the castles and caverns of the lost land of the troubadours in search of the Holy Grail. Now, first I want to explain, before we get going here, just exactly what it is that is our source for this evening. It's Lucifer's Court by Otto Rahn himself is translated uh it's translated by Christopher Jones, and it's published by Inner Traditions. And this is, as I say, his travel journal through southern France all the way uh, up to Iceland. And um, and I want to uh, make sure that we understand that this is the book that we're going to be covering tonight primarily. I, I, I ordered uh, a biography on Otto Ram, I think also by Christopher Jones, that Amazon sent me... Uh, something else by mistake. Uh, they sent me Otto Rahn and the Quest for the Holy Grail by uh, by Nigel Graddon. 
And uh, although this is a very nicely produced book and, and has a lot of interesting graphics in it and what have you, uh, it's I can't recommend it because uh, um, Nigel Grattan, uh is unfortunately um, of the same ilk as Trevor Ravenscroft and Austin Desti Sklar and the number of people who were, who were writing Nazi spook books back uh, back before Goodrick Clark came out with the with the real the real uh, truth about Nazi occultism. There was, as you uh, as all of them all of you I'm sure are aware, there was a a flood of these Nazi spook books came out. Uh, that came out during uh, the the nineteen late nineteen seventies. They were started off by Morning of the Magicians, and then and then and then the whole industry got created, and and a lot of what they what they extrapolated on and and and, uh, and kind of fantasized and imagined about was based on Otto Rahn's original uh, research, and so you know you could say that maybe he was. He was their inspiration, but these people got, you know, these these people just carried this this Nazi occult thing uh, to fantastic limits. And Trevor Trevor Ravenscroft's uh, 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 Spear of Destiny was one of the most unreliable, historically unreliable books I have ever read. And and uh, and Dusty Scar, uh, her uh, her her. Now, Satan and the Swastika was was just was you know full of, of all kinds of crazy things. For example, Dusty Scar, Dusty Scar said that uh, that you could look at a that you could look at a photograph of um, of Gurdjieff, uh, George Gurdjieff, and Agwan Dorjeev, the uh, the Russian Buryat uh, Lama, and they were so they were so close that you, 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 you that you had to realize that they were the same person. And of course, this is so ridiculous because um, <laughs> looking at that, at uh, George Gurdjieff and Agwan Dorjeev, looking at their two photographs, it's like looking at a picture of of uh, George Armstrong Custer. And Sitting Bull, they were that, that they were that much different, and and uh, you know this is and, and Trevor Ravenscroft goes on and on and on about this Lundolf uh, character who think who he thinks is the medieval Klingsor, and there is no uh, there, you know there is no such character he he made it up, and and uh, these these books are just utterly utterly unreliable and, and as I say this this uh, this one by um, by Nigel. Um, Nigel Grandin uh, on Otto Iran, I, I can't recommend it at all. But the ones by um, the ones by Christopher Jones, they're the real deal. And he's translated this directly. Although he even made a mistake in here, uh, Christopher Jones uh, refers to the Nagamati Gospels, and of course they were not uh, they, they 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 were not available uh, when Otto Iran was. Uh, uh, was making his interpretation, so so even he is subject to, to errors. But uh, however, uh, for the most part, this is you know directly translated from uh, from Otto Rahn's work. So okay, let's talk about who was Otto Rahn. Well, Otto Rahn was was a philologist, 
that's another name for a ling- uh, for, for a linguistics expert. Uh, he was a philologist, a uh, folklorist, and anthropologist uh, back in uh, Germany in the 1920s and, and 30s, and uh, and he was fascinated with. Uh, with Teutonic Nordic mythology, and uh, and and also with the uh, the main thing that he inspired him to do this quest for the Holy Grail was the medieval romance Parsifal by the Meister singer and knight Wolfram von Essenbach back in the 1100s. And Wolfram von Essenbach, actually, his was the second major grill romance. The first one was by a Frenchman, by Charendian de Vitois, and, uh, and Wolfram, quite frankly, based his on Charendian's. But uh, Wolfram brought in into his grill romance a number of, of elements that, uh, that are absolutely fascinating, especially to us in the Hermetic tradition. And... Uh, and Wolfram von Essenbach, because he centered his grail romance in in uh, Languedoc, the southern France, the area of the troubadours, the courts of love, and also the area where the Cathar the Cathar heretics uh, were quite prominent, and because of this. Uh, he's linked with the Cathars and this horrible Albigensian crusade. Now, we've talked about the Albigensian crusade before uh, on the show and uh, described it, but uh, just to refresh your your memory. Uh, In southern France, back in the the, uh, late Middle Ages, uh yeah well let's let's just say it probably got started in the in the middle middle ages and then it then it continued on 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 into the twelfth and thirteenth century uh, this was a, a a christian heresy that was that was very gnostic and and some people think that it that it was a form of manichaeism which was a uh, had its origin in persia and we'll get into that later because uh, uh, that may have something to do with the Parsifal, and and uh, and uh, Otto Rahn was also uh, interested in that and and carried his research on into that direction. We'll get into that later on. But these uh, these Gnostics, they they were they professed to be Christians. They had the Gospel of John. Which was the most mystical of the of the Christian gospels, and they they even according to what Ron discovered, they even had a version of the Book of Revelation. They they did not believe in in a uh, physical Christ. They believed that he was an he was an astral kind of some kind of an astral form or or a ghost, if you will, that he was that he was an apparition that he really wasn't physically there because they didn't believe that a that a god could uh, you know could could take the form of a man and uh that in the first place was kind of heretic heretical but 
they uh, they were very, 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 uh, very moral people. They were vegetarians, just like the the Lewis or the the early uh, the early Bible, and uh, like the Canaanites. And they uh, and they and they they were somewhat. I would say sexually uh, uh, liberated. They were. They. They were not. Uh, they. They didn't. They. They. They thought that the material world was evil, but they. They realized that you had to have a material world, so they. They were not as judgmental about it as, as the Roman Catholics were, and the result of their. Uh, and they also were into healing, and 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 and, and as I said, they were vegetarians, and they were. Uh, called themselves the uh, uh, the good people, and and and, and uh, they initiated Cathars were considered perfect. They were considered to be perfect. Uh, they were so popular, and they 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 did they had so many followers that the Catholic churches were standing empty all over all over Long uh, Long Dock and and uh, and all the way in the you know along the Pyrenees. Uh, and southern France, and the Catholic Church became very, very uh, disturbed because they were losing, uh, they were losing members, and 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 uh, and they it was their own fault because the the bishops and and and, and the uh, and the priests were so corrupt. A lot of times they never even went to church, and uh, but the Pope and. Uh, with the aid of of, of uh, the king of France or whatever, this Longdark, by the way, uh, was not a part of France at that time. It was a separate. It was it was a separate kingdom, and uh, what they did was they launched a a crusade. And I know crusades are all supposed to go toward the you know toward the the Holy Land, but but in this case, uh, they launched a crusade uh, from. From uh, Germany and and from from the northern from northern France and Germany uh, against the Cathars and uh, against the heretics when they called them the Albigensians because so many of them came from the little village of Albi and that's why they called them the Albigensians and uh, they uh, they launched this crusade. Uh, and the idea was that you could kill and slaughter and rape as many of these Cathars as you wanted to, and and that was perfectly okay. And you could loot them, you could loot them, steal, you could steal, and all, everything was forgiven. And not only that, you get to go to heaven, you know. And and uh, the Pope would uh, the Pope would bless you. Well, anything anything you any sin you want to carry out against these people, I was fine. And uh, you could and you could take their land. You could you know it's just it was just a literally a license to steal, rape, and kill. And that's exactly what these people did. They went sweeping through southern France in one of the worst genocides that Europe has ever seen, uh, and just slaughtered these people. And uh, now, what Otto Rahn was concerned about was did did the missing Holy Grail. That was one of the treasures, and there was also the treasure of Solomon's Temple too, and we'll get into that in a minute. But um, what did the Cathars have? The Holy Grail. Well, they were they professed to be Christians, but they they didn't even 
believe in the crucifixion a lot of them and they and and they they uh they had this idea that christ was was a was a ghost and he couldn't really die on the cross or anything like that and uh, so they uh, uh you know they were they were major heretics as far as Catholics were concerned the Catholics you know swept down on these Qatar uh, these fortified uh, cities like Bezerres and, and you know, blade siege to them and just slaughtered these people. Uh, and I remember we discussed, I think, a couple of uh, weeks ago, we discussed the, the, the town of Bezerres where the, the Grand Marshal is about to, they're, they're about to breach the wall and, and the... Uh, and uh, the head of the sappers goes up to the grand marshal, and he says, and "He says, well, we're, about, we're just about to drop the wall. Uh, what are your orders? Half of the town are, are Roman Catholics, and the other half are, are, are heretics. What do we do?" And uh, De Montfort says, "The grand marshal, he says, oh, kill them all. God will sort them out." And that's where we, <laughs> which, which is what they did. And and it, 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 this, the Salvagensi Crusade was a horrible thing. Anyway. The Grail. Uh, you know, most people, most uh, medieval romances of the King Arthur type, you know, most of them have the Grail being the cup of uh, the cup that Jesus drank from at the Last Supper, and of course the same cup that Joseph from Arimathea went out there and caught his blood in. You know that that's the usual story, but not the Parsifal, not this German version. This Parsifal is is pagan. It's not even Christian, and and the Grail, according to Parsifal, is not is not a cup. It's not a feeding vessel like it is in Charentin de la Trois or anything like that. It's not it's not a it it is a stone, a luminous stone that falls from the stars. And Otto Iran believed. Uh, that it was a star from from Lucifer, the fallen angel's crown, and he he he, had, he wonders about various things it could have been, like amber, because of course amber was was uh, sacred, you know, to the to the uh, you know to the uh, medieval Germans and whatever. And but anyway, and, and of course we also we think it might have been Moldavite, you know, that that meter that came down in about 800 A.D. and in uh, in uh, Eastern Europe, and uh, well, whatever it was, it, it was described in the Parsifal as a stone, and and it was pagan, very definitely. Because Parsifal, the the, the German, the German uh, Grail romance Parsifal by Essenbach is is a pagan document, and but it is as we have found out. It's really not as not not completely pagan in that sense. It's hermetic. It's uh, it, 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 this is this is and this is by the way I'll I'll, I'll say that there's a Otto Rohn's book uh, doesn't cite he cites mostly uh, people that he talks to. In other words, informants. Like, a, like an anthropologist, he, he collects folklore. He collects the he collects the, and so he doesn't have much documentation on this, and he assumes that uh, that this stone is from Lucifer's crown, and that, and he also makes the assumption that the Cathars 
uh, are Luciferians. Now, they they probably were not, uh, and they may not even have been Hermetic. They they were Gnostic Christian, and and Hermeticism is is an, as has been described as pagan Gnosticism. Let me read you part of the uh, of the. Uh, the treatise that the, 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 uh, the translators forward to this. The medieval world, so rich in spirituality, and yet, no, and yet so meager in material pleasures, uh, could be avoided only through a spiritual baptism that the Cathars call the consolamentum. And according to the French scholar Jean uh, Deveroy, this would allow the spirit or the soul to return to the heavens and resume its place in the firmament before the fall. In other words, this was a return to the morning star, Lucifer, if you will. In 1937, the recently established um, Schwarzenschlag in Leipzig published Otto Rahn's Lucifer's Court, one of the most misunderstood and maligned books ever released. Although the author announced on several occasions that he intended to write the story of the German inquisitor Conrad von Marburg as a sequel to the crusade against the Grail, Lucifer's Court was his second and last published work before his suicide on the Wilder Kaiser in March 1939. In this book, structured as a travel journal, Ron begins his quest for the Grail a stone that supposedly fell to earth in the French Pyrenees from Lucifer's crown. As he traces the story of this symbol, Ron discovers a brilliant wisdom of celestial origin that stands in opposition to Yahweh, the demiurge of the Old Testament, and the God of Benai Israel. Ron's pursuit of the primordial tradition takes him from the land of the Cathars to pagan Europe's sacred spots. In Italy, he discusses the legend of Tannhauser and uncovers King Lauren's enchanted Garden of Roses. And Der Rosengarten of Canisio in the Tyrol. And at the Externstein in Germany, he recalls the legend of the Rimesul, a holy ash tree that was venerated as the tree of the world by the ancient Germans. And finally, in Iceland, he undergoes a pilgrimage to the birthplace of skald uh, Snorri Sturluson, the Nordic Homer, who was the author of the younger, younger prose Edda. Now, according to Ron, the roots of Catharism can be traced to the legends of the ancient Greeks, Goths, and German pagans all sworn enemies of the Roman Empire and its successors, the Catholic Church. Like Ron, they did not see Satan, Beelzebub, or the devil in Lucifer in the Pyrenees. He was Apelio among the Norsemen. He was Balder, and the ancient Greeks celebrated him as Apollo. This Luciferianism, which is rooted in the esoteric literature of Hermeticism, sees Yahweh as a manifestation of a satanic material realm, the Demiurge, whereas Lucifer is the keeper of the highest spiritual ideals and has nothing at all to do with Satanism. Now let me make a comment on that and then I'll return to it. 
the fallen angels, primarily Samyaza and his and his two hundred, they don't become Lucifer until Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, decides that he's going to call the head of that they call Samyaza Lucifer, and so he does, and he rants and rants and goes on and on and on. And that that was the start of Luciferian, the whole Lucifer Satan thing, right there. And the fallen angels are hermetic. They end the, you know, the way they get into the hermetic corpus is through the Sabaeans, and we've discussed this before. They get the the the, the, the Sabaeans in Haran adopted the Book of Enoch as one of their holy books uh, when they were confronted with, uh, with either they either they have holy books or they have to convert to Islam. So they that's where they adopted the Book of Enoch, and they became at that time. Uh, it, it even influenced Islam, and they and, and these fallen angels became Harut and Marut, uh, and they became in in, in in the Zohar they end up being Azza and Azazel, but they all go back to to old Samyaza and his two hundred that come down on Mount Harmon, and that's where that and that got in into the Hermetic tradition, and it got into uh, the, you know and and, and the Cathars and in and. and um, this is this is where it got started. So, uh, if anybody disagrees with that, let me point out that there is a book called "The Crater and the Grail: Hermetic Sources of the Parsifal" by a husband and wife PhD team, Kahane uh, and Kahane, nineteen sixty-five, uh, University of. Uh, Let's see what University Press is this book. Oh, it's University of Illinois Press, 1965. The Crater and the Grail: Hermetic Sources of the Personal. Now, this this book, if you can find it, will tell you exactly what is behind the Parsifal and what's behind all of this that, that uh, this Luciferian stuff. Um, that didn't stop the Germans from adopting the Luciferian. They even had a Luciferian society in the 1200s, and uh, and we'll get into that and then uh, read one of their descriptions of their Luciferian stuff. Uh, you know, when we get on into this. Okay, the name Lucifer originally designated the brilliance of the planet Venus and literally means light bringer, according to Roman legend. As the son of Aurora, Lucifer was the harbinger of the dawn that rode across the skies in a white charger. But he was also the evening star of Venus and rode a dark steed. The Vulgate employs the word for light in the morning, signs of the zodiac and the aurora. Not surprisingly, it was St. Jerome who, in Isaiah 1.14, gave the name Lucifer to the devil, who must lament the loss of his original glory when he was as bright as the morning star. Any rejection of monotheism is generally confused with anti-Semitism, probably because Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all originated in the Middle East. Simone Weil, a French philosopher of Jewish origin, was also moved by the Qatar rejection of Yahweh, whom she also saw as a god of unforgiving cruelty. He certainly was that. Like 
the good like the Bone Holmes, the good men, as the Cathar Perfecti were called, she was convinced that Yahweh was incompatible with the God of the New Testament, and that's true. And uh, we also saw the Romans uh, and their their child, the Catholic Church, as the original source of European totalitarianism, which was so brutally employed by the Inquisition. And by the way, the Inquisition, uh, by the Dominican order and by the order of the Pope, began right at the time of the Albigensian Crusade. Not only did the Pope authorize the Albigensian Crusade, but he also authorized the Dominicans to form the Inquisition. And the two of them worked, the Crusaders and the, and the Inquisitors worked very closely together. The main points of Otto Rahn's biography are, the, are well known. A modern grail knight, he committed suicide by taping, taking sleeping pills on the snows of the mountain in 1939, and after he was denounced for possible homosexual behavior and Jewish heritage. You know, Himmler, uh, Himmler was fascinated with his with, with Ron's work and wanted to, you know, and recruited him into the, into the SS. Well, you know, being a scholar, you know, they, they, that's just the problem with academics. They get they get swallowed up by whoever whoever has the money and the power is going to is going to employ the academics, and so uh, so they um, they got run into the SS. Then you know when he when he uh, they found out that he was gay and <laughs> and and somebody said he was he was not only gay but he was a bit Jewish. They just he knew that uh, his days were numbered, so he went and climbed up the mountain, took a bunch of sleeping pills, and and, and the temperature dropped a little bit too low, and he died. Okay. The main points about Iran's biography are well known. Let's see. After its publication in 1933, his last work, Crusade Against the Grail, attracted the attention of Carl Maria Willigan, better known as Wise Thor, Himmler's uh, esoteric guru of runeology. On Weistor's recommendation, Himmler offered uh, Ron employment as a civilian in 1934. Eventually, Ron formally entered the SS in 1936 and was attached to Weistor's department. Few realize that Lucifer's court owes its journalistic style and uh, tone to another man, Albert von Haller, Rune, uh, Ron's editor and publisher. In all likelihood, it was Henry Barant the uh, the George uh, Butcher prize winner, whose real name was Albert Troust, who introduced Howard to run. And before he found out some of this, this detail, we don't really need that much. In 1936, Ron finished the book um, in a house at Hamburg Ohm that had belonged to his relatives. Howard visited him there. Together they worked on the manuscript uh, for 10 days. Uh, now, uh, that gives you an idea of, of Ron's background and what he did. But the, the, the most fascinating aspect of all of this uh, is uh, his explorations. And and this book, by the way, is this this uh, Lucifer's Court is beautifully written. It's beautifully written and poetic. Uh, Otto Ron was a pagan. He was a thoroughgoing German pagan. He he loved the German forests and, and, and the German countryside and and he loved the old gods and and the old uh, so he really was a pagan. 
However, um, the uh, Nazis were really not pagans. A lot of people think they were. They, they, you know, they they thought because of this uh, because of this Luciferian thing they 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 called they they said they were satanic, and actually that's not true. But but uh, uh, they they were they were not pagan either. And uh, let me let me just read this to give you an idea of this. In this context, although. There were three well-known pagans among the Nazi elite, Himmler, Bormann, and Rosenberg. It is amazing that Lucifer's court was ever published in a statement on October 14, 1941, that debunks the fable of Nazi paganism. Adolf Hitler said, in the presence of Himmler, to my eyes, nothing would be more stupid than to a reestablished the cult of Odin, or Wotan. Our old mythology lost its value when Christianity took root in Germany. A movement like ours should not get sidetracked with metaphysical digressions. It should hold to the spirit of exact science, quote Adolf Hitler. Hitler's statement was dramatically opposed to the spirit of Lucifer's court. Otto Rahm believed that the old pagan religions, based on the veneration of ancestors and nature, maintained the cohesiveness of society against the forces of intolerance. In contrast, National Socialism appears as a millinery religion of salvation. As, uh, and by the way, millinery means the doomsday cult. As uh, Alan de Benoist has written, a secular, secular religion, of course, but perfectly recognizable as such, which aimed to achieve through a bewitching mass liturgy by spectacularly playing on the hopes and fears of the populace and through the cult of a leader presented as a providential savior, the promise of a collective salvation based on a total transformation of life, the absolute domination of the earth, and the initiation of a reign of 1,000 years. Yeah, that's Nazism. And uh, so, the historical, super-historical passes little by little into history, but legends do not concentrate on recounting recent events as a historian would. To put this into perspective, we have to speak of a fantastical deformation and the po- and deformation and the poetic. But this poetry is perhaps more true than modern historic descriptions because legend is the veritable soul of a people which explains the decisive forces that have determined its past. Its role is to conjure images and not to describe absolute events by the fateful pressures that produce them. So, let us get on into um, Otto Ron's adventure here. He first goes into what used to be old Long Dock. I'm not sure that's how you pronounce it, but uh, um, it you know, it's the, it's the southern France area, uh, all the way from Marseille over to uh, over to the Pyrenees, where the um, the troubadours and the Cathars and um, and where Mary Magdalene came ashore, you know, and it it, it it's uh, um, 
it's the land of of the really it was the it was the it was the land of the real Camelot because the 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 you know the civilization of Camelot the troubadour civilization really was uh, was centered there uh, not not so much in in uh, in England or or in Britain now. Uh, so Ron goes uh, hiking with his, you know, with his uh, rucksack on his back, and he's in, in his staff, and he's hiking through the Pyrenees. And he also, because it's a karst area, and and all, he has a he has a carbide lamp, and he's ready to do some caving, cave exploring, and he does a lot of it because there are wonderful limestone caves all through the area, and both. Monseigneur, the, the Grail Castle, and Carcassonne, uh, where, where, they, where they kept Solomon's treasure. Both of these have underground tunnels leading out of them and enable the Cathars and, and, and the Troubadours to escape when they get surrounded by these horrible crusaders. Now, uh, but as I say, most of the information that Ron collected, he got from informants. And people in in uh, in, in Languedoc in, in in this area of France, they 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 pass these stories on. This was like um, collecting the Kalevala in Finland. I mean, they 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 just kept passing these stories on for hundreds of years. And he's and he's uh, so he's uh, on the slopes of Monseigneur, the, the the Grail Castle, and he's talking to a shepherd. And the shepherd I talked to and uh, about the treasure of the Cathars, and my shepherd had wanted to know the truth. If the Grail had really been kept uh, kept at Monseigneur, so he began to tell me a story. And when Monseigneur's walls were still standing, the pure ones kept the Holy Grail there. But the devil's followers, uh, these are the these are the Catholics, uh, coveted the Grail for a reason, and they wanted to restore it to their Lord's diadem. See, he's reversing the story, uh, from which. It had plunged to earth during the fall of the angels. The castle was threatened. Lucifer's armies had camped beneath its ramparts. In this great emergency, a dove flew down from the heavens and split open the mighty Tabor with its beak. And at that moment, S. Claramonde, the lady who was the keeper of the grail, threw the precious relic into the, the mountain gorge which then closed upon it again. And in this way, the grail was saved. And when the devil, that sounds a little, a little bit like Indiana Jones and that German girl, you know, when the grail goes, <laughs> when the devils finally forced their way into the castle, they were too late. In a frenzy, they burned all the pure ones not far from the castle mountain at the camp uh, de Cromats, the field of fires. All were burned except, of course, Esclamonde, and when she realized the grail was safe, she climbed to the top of the tabor and became a dove, and then she flew off to the mountains of Asia. And in this way, Esclamonde escaped death and still lives on in paradise. Now that is the reason, my shepherd said, why her grave will never be found. Isn't this interesting that that the shepherd is mixing up the Luciferians with the Crusaders. He's turned the story completely around. When I asked him that he thought 
of the man with the divining rod and his description of, of Escaramonde's sarcophagus, he snarled, ah, they're all crazy. Now, together with the priest's nephew and a few farmers, I sat by the fireplace in a low-ceiling kitchen in the next room. Young fellows were playing cards loudly. It was dismal outside the castle, and the hamlet of Monseigneur was enveloped in the clouds. And even today, three days later, they still have not given away. In the autumn, it was bitter cold, and everybody knows that Monseigneur is the castle of the Grail. The whole region of Foy, uh, that's Escarlamundi's family name, is Foy. Uh, the end, and an engineer scoffed when they spoke, they spoke of it. It is a treasure hunter, and that is why they they didn't mention it to me. Because of my enthusiasm, our talk became bolder, and I learned more. The engineer will never find his treasure. It lies in a cave in the Tabor Forest. A massive stone block protects the cave's entrance from intruders. And the treasure itself is guarded by hundreds of vipers inside. And whoever wishes to enter can do so only during Mass on Palm Sunday and the, and the fate uh, the Ramal. And that is the moment when it is possible to lift the stone slab because the stakes are fast asleep. But God help the person who has not left the cave before the priest has finished singing the mass and the slab closes again. And the intruder suffers a terrible end as he is bitten to death by the newly awakened vipers. And Indy says, why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> yeah, this is... Yeah, this is one of the reasons why uh, Otto Ron is called the real Indiana Jones, because so many of Indiana Jones's adventures and, and scenes like this come from come from Otto Ron. Uh, now, Monsignor, this is a very very romantic spot. I'd love to go there. I, I, I know whether I'm up to hiking up the top of that that ruin yet, but. This is a ruined castle on top of the uh, top of the high mountain, and this is the, they they held out in this. It was like Masada. They held out the Cathars held out with the, with their grail maiden, uh, their lady. They held out in there, and and then you know uh, for a year, year over a year, and uh, finally. Finally, they got out. They got most of their treasure out through a, through a, a, a tunnel, and uh, that got them out into the gorge, and they escaped. And then, as we mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, they um, right before they right before they they were captured, or the castle was stormed. Three of them went down went down the sheer slope. The wall went right down the sheer slope into the gorge, and these guys went on repel, and they were on repelling lines, and they went and repelled down down the uh, uh, down down the slope. And what they were carrying, they were carrying something in the bundle. We don't know what it was. Of course, some people theorize it was the grail, uh, the stone of the cup, or whatever. Anyway, um, uh, the other treasure, by the way, I'll mention it now in case we don't have time to get to it. Uh, the other treasure in, in that Ron was looking for, and it was rumored to be in Long Dock, is 
the Ark of the Covenant, the menorah, well, not the not the original Ark, but the replica Ark from from uh, from when the Romans destroyed Herod's temple. Because as you know, as I'm sure you know that that they, they in Herod's temple they had a replica of the Ark and they had a replica of the menorah and a replica of of, of all of these holy treasures. And uh, the Romans, when they tore down Herod, Herod's temple about 66 AD, uh, I think it was 66 AD, they took all of these treasures back to Rome. In fact, they even have a uh, the Arch of Titus. They even show the, the the Roman soldiers with the menorah over their shoulders were marching through the arch. Uh, they took all these treasures back to Rome. Well. That was, you know, that's where they stayed in a treasure house in in, in Rome, until the Visigoths, uh, early in, you know, just before the Christian era, the Visigoths, uh, barbarian tribe from the southern France, French area, they conquered Rome, and they took that treasure, that temple treasure, and they took it supposedly to this other fortified city in southern France called Carcassonne. And Carcassonne was another fortified uh, uh, castle, uh, well, actually a little little uh, sort of a, sort of a fortified city. And, and also Carcassonne had a tunnel leading, leading into, the, into the caverns uh, beneath where, where, where the Cathars could escape. And nobody knows what happened to the temple treasure. It's gone. And of course, naturally, uh, there's a lot of speculation that that temple treasure might have ended up in uh, uh, René de Chateau, you know, in the Holy Blood, Holy Grail, of the, the priest who found it. That's very possible. Uh, but this is this was also one of the things that uh, that uh, Otto Rahn was looking for because he knew about it. Uh, now. I should read a, uh, a little uh, thing here on Parsifal. Young hero Parsifal sets off in search of the grail. Leaving his mother, uh, he seeks knighthood. And then, as a knight of King Arthur's round table, Parsifal continues to seek the highest earthly reward, the grail. He finds it at the castle and becomes the grail king. And when Parsifal's son, Lohengrin, comes of age, he becomes the Grail's herald, traveling in a boat pulled by a swan to all the people suffering injustice. Now, the publisher of my Parsifal's edition, that's Wolfram's, believes that, uh, that Wolfram's Grail castle must lie in the Pyrenees, and references to places such as Aragon and, and Catalonia must have led him to this conclusion. And so my uh, my Pyrenean farmers are not wrong after all when they call the ruins of Monseigneur the castle of the San Grau. And the snow that uh, Parsifal's steed trots upon to the holy castle is very probably uh, Pyrenean snow. Monsalvace which is the name that Wolfram gave to the Grail Castle, Montsalvat, means, as many accept, wild mountain. French word, Sauvignage, or wild, is based upon the Latin 
Sylvaticus from Silva, the forest, and there is no lack of forests around once a year. <coughs> In the uh, spoken dialect of the Pyrenees, Wild Mountain translates to Mont Sauvage, contradicting both of them. On his authority, Richard Wagner, the composer of Lohengrin and Parseval, called the Grail Castle by the name Mont Sauvage, which means Mountain of Light. Both Mont Sauvage and Mont Sauvage can be translated to Monsieur, Secure Mountain, and the Peace Mountain. In this regard, Monsieur, that ruin of which, uh, with which I live, is present also in the much sought after Grail Castle. Now, um, Monsieur is in ruins today. Uh, I don't see why they don't restore it because it, 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 uh, it, it, you know, it had a tower, and now it's 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 uh, it's just kind of a shell up there on top of the mountain. Sort of reminds you of that that castle in in uh, the Ninth Gate, if you remember, where where. Uh, anyway, let's see here. Um, A sharp, multicolored picture representing Jesus Christ on the Mount of Olives was hanging on the wall of my room until now. It depicted a winged angel emerging halfway out of the cloud and holding out to the faithful a monstrous cup. And I have removed the picture and replaced it with a sheet of my best writing paper upon which I wrote, as carefully and beautifully as I could, some verses of Wolfram von Essenbach. The authentic tale with the conclusion to the romance, has been sent to us in German lands from Provence. When Lucifer made his descent to hell with his following humans, consider what Lucifer and his comrades achieved. They were innocent and pure. I prefer to believe that Satan, Satan's, not Lucifer's armies, stood before the walls of Monseigneur to steal the grail, which had fallen from the light bringer, from Lucifer's crown, and it was kept by the pure ones. These were the Cathars, not those clerics uh, and adventurers who, cross on chest, wanted to prepare the long dog for a new caste, their own. Now, as we said, though, uh, the, the Parseval is hermetic, and Cahane and Cahane really established that. And Gnosticism is, uh, that, uh, hermeticism is pagan Gnosticism, and that's certainly the truth. And this does come through uh, the Sabaeans, through the Arabs, through the Sabaeans, and it comes up from Spain. And Coyote, um, or Kayo, uh, Wolfram's guru uh, that he attributes was a uh, was probably a Sabean uh, a teacher in one of the Spanish universities, um, and, and I strongly recommend for those of you to really really into this. Uh, number one, uh, read Parseval. Wolfram and Essenbach's Parseval, the Mustard and Passage translation is very good, and and um, and get yourself a copy of Cahane and Cahane's uh, Hermetic Sources at the Parseval. That that will uh, 
that will make a believer out of you. And uh, and also it'll it'll help you uh, appreciate uh, it'll help you appreciate uh, Otto Ron's work because although he was concentrating on this Lucifer thing, you can't blame him too much for that because because Isaiah Isaiah really was the one who who turned. Uh, who turned Lucifer into the devil, and uh, and uh, Lucifer, you know, is just really another symbol for the fallen angels of the Book of Enoch. Now, let's uh, let's talk about the old countess. That uh, this that I really enjoy this because it reminds me of that scene in the Ninth Gate, you know, where. Um, where uh, Corso meets the old uh, uh, the old Baroness von Sternberg Ungern, uh, and and uh, Otto Ron um, met this old countess, uh, and and uh, she was while well, she was knitting in her castle, she was telling him this these stories, and, and uh, read this. I am a guest of Countess P, an elderly lady. Nobody knows the history, legends, and customs of her homeland better than she. Her library is unusual in its uniformity and completeness. The Countess frequently visited me at Monseigneur. Now I am returning the visit. Today we spent the late afternoon at the Mediterranean coast. As we returned leisurely in the early morning, we passed uh, Mount d'Alarec, a melancholy and bleak mountain that owes its name to the Gothic king, Alaric. On the right of way was a covered wagon in the shade of a tree, and before it stood a slim man with snow-white hair. Beside him, the young blonde woman sat on a stone. With bright eyes, the old person urgently looked at us. That is a cago, he explained to my, uh, he explained my companion. A nomadic cargo. There is also a permanent population of them high in the Pyrenees. And if you ask the farmers about them, they usually reply that they are poorly regarded people. The name cargo is probably a mixture of Cathars and goats, Goths, or Cathars and Goths. And we saw a descendant of the last of the Albigensians. In the evening, we sat before the fireplace. The countess knitted. I read from a book the fact that graves from the Albigensian era were found in the area of, of Montagne Noir. And one of them was a mass grave. Twelve skeletons lay in such a way that they formed a kind of wheel. The heads were grouped together at the hub, and the bodies formed the spokes. The author's reckoning that this suggests the sun was an admission and is probably correct. Then we talked. My hostess was raised with the legend that identifies Monsignor as the Grail Castle. She is convinced that the Grail was kept at this castle and that her ancestors had been the Grail Knights who had laid down their lives in defense of the Grail. Many of them fell in the siege of Monsignor and some were even even burned. And finally she offered this. The great Escalamonde was of my bloodline. I am pure to see her in spirit on the platform 
of the keep of Monsignor, gazing at the stars, the heretics. This is beautiful. The heretics love the stars. They believe that after death, a soul wandered from star to star until it approached the stages of divinization, of, of divinization, of the spirit. In the morning, the heretics prayed to the rising sun. In the evening, they turned devoutedly to the face its departure. At night, they turned to the silvery moon or the north because the north was holy to them. And they regarded the south as the dwelling place of Satan. Satan is not Lucifer because Lucifer means the light bringer. The Cathars had another name for him, Lucibel. He was not the devil. First the Jews and then the Papists downgraded into that. The grail was a stone that fell from Lucifer's crown. This made the Cathar church, and they themselves stressed a Luciferian Christian one. If Monsignor was the mountain of the Grail Castle, then Els Claramonde was the Lady of the Grail. And after her death, the destruction of Monsignor and the extermination of the Cathars orphaned both the Grail Castle and the Grail. The Catholics who waged the crusade against the Albigensians, which was a war of the cross against the fail to acquire the non-Catholic symbol of faith for their own purposes. But it was not enough that they proclaimed the grail to be the cup from which Jesus gave his disciples the last communion and which caught his blood at Golgotha. They even declared that the Benedictine cloister Montserrat conveniently south of the Pyrenees to be the temple of the Grail. And after that, it became known that the Cathars, who were often called the Luciferians by the Inquisitors, had kept the Luciferian Grail stone north of the Pyrenees. Catholic monks claimed to keep it south of these mountains, but they made it into a relic for the believers of Jesus who vanished the princes of hell, who who vanquished the princes of hell. We both fell silent. When the countess continued, I do not need to remind you that the Basque Ignatius of Loyola was the founder of the Society of Jesus. Did you know that he invented the Jesuit spiritual exercises, the organization of the Jesuit order, and, if I do not err, the adoration of the bleeding heart of Jesus on Montserrat near Barcelona? You should follow up these connections. My hostess gave me a few books as a gift, and I'm especially pleased with a German book published 70 years earlier with the title, Caesarius von Heisterbach, and the author calls it a contribution to the cultural history of the 12th and 13th centuries. I shall place it next, uh, I shall place it in my next book, a sentence from St. John the Evangelist that appears at the beginning. Gather together the pieces, hunks, scraps, tidbits on which, on uh, on that nothing dies. My ancestors were heroes and relatives, uh, and my relatives were heretics. And from their vindication, I am gathering the pieces that were left by Rome. Now, um, we've got a lot more to cover, actually. 
in this um, in this this work. So next week we'll continue uh, and and uh, and just this whole episode, this whole odyssey of of, uh, of Ron's is is absolutely fascinating. He ends up in Iceland. Iceland's kind of a disappointment to him, uh, but what does happen in Iceland is that he visits the uh, the uh, the cottage uh, where where uh, um, uh, the scald uh, um, writer uh, Sturlson wrote the uh, the the Edda, and and he he in in that final conclusion he he really describes uh, uh, Nordic paganism. And and uh, and his vision of uh, of having a return of Nordic paganism, which I think you're going to really enjoy. Anyway, so next week we'll continue, and uh, we'll continue with Lucifer's Court, and um, and also we'll have more from uh, from the Crater and the Grail, from Cain and Cain, so that you'll know the hermetic aspect of all of this, because actually, actually the Parseval is is really a hermetic allegory. One thing I, I'll mention before we close on this, that the Parseval may very well have originated uh, or, or be inspired by Mani the Persian, the Persian Manich, the Manichaeans. The Manichaeans were, were a Gnostic, uh, were a Gnostic uh, sect that, that got into Europe about the time of the Cathars and and uh, a lot of people, a lot of scholars think that the Cathars were Manichaeans. And that's Persian. And there's, this answers a lot of riddles in Parsifal because a lot of the names in Parsifal don't really appear to be German. They don't really appear to be anything. They're, they're, they're actually more Parsi than they are, uh, than, than they are German. And, and, of course, you know, uh, if you follow the, uh, this idea of, of Aryan, um, uh, you know, racial line that then the Persians certainly were Aryans, and the earliest earliest Aryan uh, scriptures and all, of course, were the uh, were were Persian. So uh, we have that to consider, and we'll, we'll get into that next week. Some of the background on that, and so until then, uh, good magic, and we'll see you next week. Bye.